As young girls and women, we've often been led to believe that we can't trust ourselves or our bodies, that the doctors know better than us, you know, and, and what we should do and don't do with our bodies, that our bodies are failing us and we need the medical system to save us. The medical system plays a very necessary role in certain disease management areas. If you've had an injury and require a surgery, like, I'm very thankful that, that there's that type of medicine available for when we need it. But I think it is shifting a little little bit. You know, more and more people are becoming aware of the importance of preventative medicine. But I think a lot of times doctors are very quick to, um, to give a Band-Aid, right? Like, for example, one of the things that I often see in my practice focusing on fertility and pregnancy and just generally women's health is that teenage girls are given birth control. They are encouraged to then work up the corporate ladder, you know, throughout their peak fertile years and then be faced with the reality that they have the same irregular periods and other menstrual symptoms that they, ex that they were experiencing when they were given the birth control pill as the treatment. But the, one of the challenges is that these women will often have resulting digestive complications, extreme mood imbalances, things like depression and anxiety, or nutritional deficiencies. Um, there's a lot of nutritional deficiencies that can happen as a direct result of being on hormonal contraceptives. I literally hear this story day in and day out with, from my patients. And it's just, it's so frustrating for me because as a woman, I'm so thankful that I never, my mom never let me take birth control. Not that I ever really asked. It was never an option, but I'm thankful for it for the reason that like I was able to have a normal natural period. And even though I had those symptoms, those led me to seeking answers to figure out what was really going on underneath the surface. And that's one of my goals is that I really feel like it's my responsibility to educate every young girl and every woman about the innate power of her body to guide her back to a place of true vitality because our bodies are, like I said, are constantly communicating with us. It's more a matter of, are we going to listen, right? If you have a, a smoke alarm going off in the house, do you put your headphones in or do you like go figure out what's causing the, the smoke alarm to go off? So that's, that's one of the ways that I really try to think about this is that when I'm helping women take back their health, I'm really trying to provide them with the knowledge, the answers and, and the solutions to figure out why are things going wrong in the first place and then what we can do about them. Welcome to Next to Natural, an interview series from New Organics to showcase conscious parents passionate about living environmentally aware lives while on a journey to raising confident, happy, compassionate, and resilient children. I'm your host, Shauna Yap. For more on New Organics and for all of the show notes and upcoming episodes, visit www.newe.com nuiorganics.com. Connect with us at the supportive community of other conscious parents via Instagram or Facebook at Nui Organics. Our next guest has a life's purpose to inspire and encourage women to live, eat, and move with mindfulness, intention, and confidence. She believes in creating a healthy life from the inside out and using food as medicine. She helps women listen to their intuitive voice to develop a healthy relationship with food. Meet Anissa Woodall, a real food holistic certified nutritionist and natural mama to her two and a half year old son. She holds an MS degree in clinical nutrition and dietetics and a BS degree in nutrition and exercise science from Bastyr University. With a special interest in women's health, fertility, and motherhood, 
She and her naturopathic doctor husband also co-host the Woodall Wellness Podcast, where they cover topics from movement and nutrition to parenting and sustainability. You can follow Anissa along her instinctual mothering and natural living journey on Instagram at Anissa Woodall Nutrition. So I want to start by asking you about your connection to nature. From your work, I know that you're very nature-inspired and you like to get outside a lot. Can you tell me more about how that affects you and your family? A child cannot bounce off the walls if there are no walls. I really, truly believe that. I will find that my son will literally bounce off the walls or start just causing, you know, doing things that he knows he shouldn't be doing in the home when he starts getting a little bit you know, fed up inside. And so, and I kind of get the same way. <laughs> I think we manifest those differently, but I think being able to identify that in each of us, you know, and understanding like, okay, we need to go outside. And sometimes I'll just, you know, say it's, it seems like you need to go outside and I'll, you know, help him put his shoes on, send him out. That's one of the things that I love is that we recently moved on to a one acre property this year. I finally started a, my own garden and have my own compost pile and we're getting chickens soon. I just got a free coop that I'm renovating. And so it's just, so fun to be able to like send him outside and let him just explore on his own and I will often go out with him doing different things outside. Were you raised that way? Kind of yeah I I grew up on two and a half acres in northern California very very small town yeah my brothers and I would just run around barefoot all the time and you know we had chickens and a tree house rain or shine my mom would send us outside and given it didn't rain as much there as it does here but we still definitely developed an appreciation for being outside and and having that that unstructured playtime. I find it very sad that in a world where many children are growing up with technology and many young moms don't actually know the benefits yet of being outside, that is actually such an important part of connecting to themselves is connecting to nature and getting out there and running barefoot and playing in the dirt and getting dirty. A hundred percent. And that was actually something, you know, that I've definitely drifted away from my connection with nature as I grew up, as I, I think school was a big part of it, right? You're stuck inside all the time. And the only time I was really spending outdoors when I was in high school was, you know, on the soccer field or I was in competitive track as well. And so I really just started finding my way back. I think, I think going to Bastyr University up here, it's, it's almost like Hogwarts. If you're familiar with Harry Potter, it's this, you know, castle, it was an old seminary building in the middle of a forest right alongside Lake Washington. I found that it was there that I really started reconnecting and finding like just how how much of a requirement it was for me to be in nature and to connect, you know, with with my surroundings and all of that. I really feel like I was able to bring that back into my life, you know, before I became a mom. And so when I became a mom, it it was a lot easier. What made you start studying nutrition? I would say I was vegetarian, you know, sometimes pescatarian. You know, I would eat the occasional fish for about seven years of my life. And I learned the hard way, I think, that if you're eating a diet that's void of really important nutrients, that eventually you're going to run out of those nutrient stores. I ended up having a lot of my own health challenges, extreme fatigue, you know, extreme brain fog, you know, memory loss, uh, a whole lot of, you know, just getting sick really easily. I ended up developing this chronic cough for two years. It was just kind of a a bunch of random symptoms. And then I kind of asked myself, you know, what if it's my diet? Like I need to, you know, be open to considering this as a possibility. And at that point I was already studying nutrition. You know, I knew I wanted to kind of go into it. But at the time when I decided I was going to study nutrition, 
I thought I was going to be studying to like learn all the reasons why everybody needs to be vegetarian. <laughs> and I definitely had to swallow my pride. And when I was at this point, this crossroads in my health where I was like, okay, what if it is my diet? Like I have to be open and willing to swallow my pride and, and challenge it. And so that was when I then switch to a more, you know, what I call a real food type of lifestyle where if it grows on the, you know, on the earth or in the water or on the land, then I'll eat it, you know, as long as it's not poisonous, you know, and I, and I definitely had to do a whole, you know, gut healing protocol and, you know, uh, had yeast overgrowth. So I had to treat that and did that with diet as well. So it, there's a whole lot of different pieces of the puzzle uh, and it's a long story, but really I think it all came back down to, you know, having this understanding of food as medicine. The body is always communicating. Um, and I knew that my body was trying to communicate something to me, right? And also at the time, like I had really heavy and painful periods. And so there was always this kind of underlying wisdom where I was like, this shouldn't be the normal. So I was tr always trying to figure out like what was causing uh, all of these random symptoms. And so anyway, I changed my diet and Within like three months, I could remember things better. I wasn't bumping into everything. I wasn't super clumsy anymore. I wasn't having brain fog. I had well, you know, stable energy throughout the day. And that was a big shift for me. And then also as my iron deficiency started normalizing, I no longer had heavy, painful periods. Then after that was when I was diagnosed with Lyme disease. And so um, that was also playing a big role in this whole journey, you know, but having changed my diet first, there was a, an obvious role that, that it had been playing even before I was diagnosed and treated for Lyme. And so I think changing my diet to a much, you know, lower anti-inflammatory style diet that was much more nutrient dense, you know, of all the nutrients that my body really needed, um, I was able to really go through my Lyme treatment pretty swiftly, I was able to recover completely in about four months. And so, you know, I was really thankful for that because I knew so many people with Lyme disease who were struggling it, struggling with it as like a lifelong illness. You know, you said so many important things during that, but the word wisdom and asking questions, I think is very devoid in our lives these days. There's very one-way thinking. Everybody has, I'm a vegan, I'm a vegetarian, it's plant-based, uh, you know, meat only. Like there's a lot of one-way thinking and people don't realize you're right. The body is constantly sending us messages that for some reason, I wasn't raised to listen to my body. I was more raised to listen to eat the four food groups, do this, do that. So you talk on your website about helping women take their health back. I think this is very apropos. I completely agree with you, but so the audience knows and we're all on the same page. What are we taking our health back from? It's a great question. As young girls and women, we've often been led to believe that we can't trust ourselves or our bodies, that the doctors know better than us, you know, and, and what we should do and don't do with our bodies, that our bodies are failing us and we need the medical system to save us. The medical system plays a very necessary role in certain disease management areas. If you've had an injury and require a surgery, like, I'm very thankful that, that there's that type of medicine available for when we need it. But I think it is shifting a little Little bit, you know, more and more people are becoming aware of the importance of preventative medicine. But I think a lot of times doctors are very quick to um, to give a band aid, right? Like 
for example, one of the things that I often see in my practice focusing on fertility and pregnancy and just generally women's health is that teenage girls are given birth control. They are encouraged to then work up the corporate ladder, you know, throughout their peak fertile years and then be faced with the reality that they have the same irregular periods and other menstrual symptoms that they ex- that they were experiencing when they were given the birth control pill as the treatment. But one of the challenges is that these women will often have resulting digestive complications, extreme mood imbalances, things like depression and anxiety, or nutritional deficiencies. Um, There's a lot of nutritional deficiencies that can happen as a direct result of being on hormonal contraceptives. I literally hear this story day in and day out from my patients. And it's just, it's so frustrating for me because as a woman, I'm so thankful that I never, my mom never let me take birth control. Not that I ever really asked. It was never an option, but I'm thankful for it for the reason that like I was able to have a normal natural period. And even though I had those symptoms, those led me to seeking answers to figure out what was really going on underneath the surface. And that's one of my goals is that I really feel like it's my responsibility to educate every young girl and every woman about the innate power of her body to guide her back to a place of true vitality. Because our bodies, are, like I said, are constantly communicating with us. It's more a matter of, are we going to listen, right? If you have a, a smoke alarm going off in the house, do you put your headphones in or do you like go figure out what's causing the, the smoke alarm to go off? So that's, that's one of the ways that I really try to think about this is that when I'm helping women take back their health, I'm really trying to provide them with the knowledge, the answers and, and the solutions to figure out why are things going wrong in the first place and then what we can do about them. It seems like, and maybe just because I'm so the natural world and I look for my own solutions, but it seems like there's so much information out there, yet there seems to be still so many majority of women don't go seeking answers. I find it also very frustrating. Why is that? And what can we do like the people listening to this podcast who aren't medical professionals, but what, what can we do to better educate ourselves to get the information out to other women, to our friends, to our children? I think it's of who are asking questions, there's definitely more women than men who are seeking out um, answers. And I think it kind of comes back to our, our nature, right? We're more typically more social, more talkative, even if we're introverted, right? We tend to share with each other, the things that are important to us. And so I think it's very natural for us to, if we undergo our own health challenge or questions or things like that, to, to bring them up with friends and, and things like that. And I think it can be very hard for women who haven't really developed that connection with their bodies. I'm very lucky to have grown up with that mindset of that my body's always communicating. And, and I think it's really just a matter of, unfortunately, having to experience something challenging that then forces you to realize that. And I would, I would like to think that our medical providers would, would be a strong influence in that area, but that's not always the case. Like I mentioned, we're often trying to, to band-aid a lot of the, the symptoms that we're having. You know, for example, if we have period pain, what we're taught for the age, age of young girls is that, you know, oh, here, just take up ibuprofen and power through, like just ignore it, right? And um, you know, or if you have heavy bleeding, go on the pill. Or even when you're having children, it's like, okay, you have labor pains, go get an epidural, right? And I think these whole, I think it's really a mindset of how can we utilize the signs from our body to communicate to us what what they're really calling for. And and I think in all of those 
examples, there's really a, a disconnect, right? Like we've disconnected from our bodies and we're no longer able to learn about what is trying to be communicated. That follows also in diet as well, right? Like we've been, we've learned to, to try to conform our bodies to fit this ideal standard and we lose our ability to eat intuitively. And, and there's so much, you know, with, with diet culture, Oftentimes, that's something we learn from our mothers as well, unfortunately. Again, I'm very lucky in that, in that area where my mom didn't talk about food in relation to my body in a, in a good way or in a bad way. How can women change that? So if they recognize it in themselves, they know that they grew up with that mindset. They may look in the mirror and say, oh, I'm so fat or, you know, oh, I don't look like this or see someone on Instagram. And they have children now and they want Mm -hmm. to, they don't want to pass on their own beliefs onto them. And they also want to change their own relationship with food. What are like first steps that they can do to start that? Is that why you have your group nutritional sessions? Yeah. And, you know, in my nutritional sessions, I really help to personalize my recommendations. So like, like you said, right, there's so much information out there that people can kind of, if they do enough research, they can kind of piece together the information. They might have some significant gaps in it, um, as you know, I often will find. But my role is to really kind of work with women to create a, to kind of, to be their advocate, right? To, to help them in their research. Because I think as mothers and as women, it is our own responsibility for, you know, how we choose to navigate our health, the choices that we make for our family and for ourselves. But I really find it to be my role to help point women in the right direction to provide them with information that they might not have been aware of for, you know, to kind of come back to the the question of, you know, how do we help to build a kind of a healthy relationship with food in our children? You know, it starts with being a role model. So it, it starts with just demonstrating, we don't even have to talk about it all the time but just demonstrating how we how we think about food and you know why we're choosing certain foods or whatever. I'm learning to navigate that as a mother to a toddler right now as well, but it's really so sad to me when I see mothers or or other women, you know, looking in a mirror and pointing out their flaws, what you know, whatever that means. Whether we like it or not, our kids are listening and they're watching and will do the same thing. I've had young girls, you know, as as young as eight years old saying, I don't want to get fat. Of course, there are other reasons why one might not want to get fat, but for just being a, you know, a body image thing and just what are other people going to think of me? Like that's, I think, the conversation that we need to be changing. And it should be way less about how is your body going to look rather than how is it going to behave, right? Like, I know when my son eats sugar, he is bouncing off the walls way more than he normally would be, or just a lot more agitated, or there's so many different ways that food can impact us. But one of the things that I really like to do in helping just to nurture a healthy relationship with food with my son is often in the evening, we'll do some massage. Like sometimes, you know, we'll be depending on how awake he is, we'll be working on different parts of the body and maybe we'll be naming different body parts. I'll notice how thick his thighs have gotten and I'll say, wow, I can feel your quads are getting stronger. All that running, jumping, bike riding, climbing uh, is doing a great job turning your food. And then usually I'll say something like what we had at dinner, right? So turning your beef into, into strong muscles. And so that helps him to understand like, okay, this is the food that I'm eating is now turning 
going into this in my body. And for someone who's two years old, he can very much understand that at a, in terms of his developmental level of, of understanding. And so I think that's one way that we can, can try to nurture a good relationship with food. And I think also not making a big deal out of certain things. I think a lot of times in our culture, parents, they want their kids to be eating healthy so badly that they say, you have to eat broccoli or whatever it is. Can't leave the table until you eat that. And I know it's not the parent's intention at all to suppress their child's own inner voice, but that's often what's happening is that the child is learning that, oh, when my body tells me that I'm done eating or that I don't need this food, that my mom or dad knows better and that I need to listen to them when I need to eat. And so it goes from being an, in, an internal voice and an intuitive voice to then handing over that role to the parent to say, to, you know, they say what you can and can't eat. I think, unfortunately, that's oftentimes when the disconnect in the relationship with food begins is when we're, we learn as young children that we shouldn't listen to our bodies, what we can and can't eat. And so I really like Ellen Satter has a concept that she talks about. It's called the division of responsibilities and talks about uh, us as parents we have an important role in providing healthy, nourishing foods for our children. It's up to the child to decide which one, when, and how they want to eat it. And that's really, I think, such an important thing that we can be doing as parents to help to foster normal, healthy eating in our children and to not necessarily make a big deal or give them a round of applause when they eat the piece of broccoli. It's, <laughs> oh, wow, you, you ate your broccoli and like, leave it at that. <laughs> I see you have a book called The Natural Mama's Guide to Newborn Essentials for Mindful, Healthy, and Eco-Friendly Living, which I think that it all goes together. And so it's not just nutrition or just eco-friendly living that brings a healthy balance. What inspired you to write the book and what are some simple things that somebody who maybe hasn't read the book yet could do in their own lives to just start having that mindful, healthy, eco-friendly living in their home? I wrote the Natural Mama's Guide to Newborn Essentials because when I was a pregnant mom, I was constantly being bombarded by advertisements for baby products that initially seemed interesting, but then left me asking the questions of, do I really need this? How will this benefit the development of my baby? Through experiencing this dilemma myself and really thinking, you know, how many other moms are also experiencing this? You know, I decided to create and, and offer this guide to help conscious mamas realign with their values of minimalism, health promotion, and environmental respect when preparing for the newborn period, because in reality, I'm not going to change who I am once I become a mom, right? Like, for example, I would often, you know, find myself adding, adding things to my baby registry that, you know, oh, so-and-so said that this was essential for them, so maybe I need to add it too. And when I, when I would find myself hmm, this doesn't really fully align with who I am and how I want to live, right? So for example, I had a coworker who said they absolutely had to have the wipes warmers, you know, and I had heard other people also say like, you have to have white wipes warmers, like it was a life changer. And, you know, for me, you know, here I am thinking, do I even need wipes? Like, <laughs> and, and if I don't use wipes, then why would I need a wipes warmer? And, you know, that was just like one example. But we did something called the PBS, the personal bidet service for my son. Instead of using wipes, we just washed his bum with warm water and that was it, right? And you just towel him off. And that was something that 
you know, my own mom did with my brothers, my brother and I being from Iran. And I think really in a lot of traditional cultures, they didn't have the convenience of disposable diapers or wipes or whatever. Maybe unintentionally, they were doing the most equally thing already. Another area to stop and ask ourselves, you know, like, where am I using resources where I don't necessarily need to be? Or can I switch the type of resource, right? Like from making, you know, having something be wasteful to then maybe using a little bit of water in its place. So that was like one example. But I know you had asked the question of like, what tips might I be able to offer for for moms wanting to, to take a more natural and sustainable kind of approach to the newborn period. One of my tips to really consider what do babies truly need? I have this, a circular diagram depicting what babies' true needs are. I'll just say, like, I'm not a baby expert. I'm a nutritionist and I'm a mom. But there's a lot of things that we can learn, you know, just from, I have a basic understanding of anatomy and, and human development. I've also done a good amount of research. The basic needs of babies are, you know, this isn't something that's published in a medical textbook or anything like that. But I would say loving touch, caregivers, nutrition hygiene, free movement, and safe shelter. Those are all kind of obvious needs of babies. Those are really the things that I came up with as I was sitting down to write this book. And, and, and really it was about figuring out, okay, well, what do babies truly need? And then how do we figure out what products, if there are products that we needed to get, what would help encourage those needs rather than separate them? So for, I'll give an example. You might see those, I think they're called Johnny jump ups or bouncers or whatever. If you understand normal motor development for babies, those things can actually interfere with the normal process of it, right? Or, or even a baby chair, right? Propping up a baby before they're physically able to hold themselves in a seated position. Those things can interfere with the motor development of infant growth. So those were things that I thought, okay, if babies require free movement in order to develop their motor patterns, then those are items that I'm going to leave off of my registry or not allow my in-laws to gift uh, to gift to us and really just try to express to, to the people who do want to gift products to us or if we're seeking out, if we're going to go be buying our own products, then to really think about like how, like how can I realign with these true needs of babies and also how do those align with my own lifestyles, right? Like, how, like, do I want to be adding more plastic items that are going to get six months of use and then they're tossed aside? So those are all considerations that I really encourage mamas to be making because it always, it always feels so backwards to me when I see people who are living, they're trying to make conscious choices about what they're consuming, whether it's with clothing or food or anything in their life, right? Anything they're consuming. But then when it comes to having their baby, it's like they just have all the typical things that modern babies are gifted or using just because that's what that's what we do. And I really like to encourage mamas to stop themselves in their tracks and really reflect on, you know, is that what I need to do? And does that feel good to me? That brings me to natural fiber clothing, because I know that as a natural fiber clothing organic company, I see a lot of moms that already know, or they want to put organic and natural fibers on their baby. They just intuitively just want less toxins on them, but they don't really make it a requirement and they may or may not do that for themselves. How important is that in the realms of having a healthy baby and just our overall health in general? I'll just start because I focus on the preconception and pregnancy periods in my nutrition work. 
preconception and in utero are some of the most critical times that our environment as mothers plays a direct role on the epigenetic blueprint that's laid out for our children. If we talk about epigenetics, what that means is we ourselves, as well as the father, will, will be sharing 50-50% of their genes, right? Whatever diet, lifestyle, exposures, toxins, all of those things decide in that moment of conception, which genes are going to be turned on and turned off. And one of the beautiful things about the process of conception is that there is this like decision period that happens where those genes are turned on and turned off. And what's happening is that whether you believe in God or not, like (laughs) the creator, (laughs) this vital force in, in creating life is really trying to choose the best outcome. What genetics are really going to provide the best outcome for this baby in the world that we live in? If the diet and lifestyle of the mother and father are not optimal, then that can really play a role in that genetic blueprint of the baby. Now, a lot of times people are finding that, okay, but I didn't make any changes in my preconception period, or, you know, we got pregnant by accident, like, what can I do now, right? The beautiful thing about genetics is that in our own diet and lifestyle, we can choose which genes we turn on and turn off as well. And so it might take, unfortunately, some more effort. So for example, a baby who's born to a mother with gestational diabetes, who had uncontrolled blood sugar, they will have a higher likelihood of developing diabetes as children. They can also change their diet as children and reduce the likelihood that they might develop that, even though their genetics might predispose them to something like that. So I really find when it's possible and really trying to make those changes in the preconception period and during pregnancy to reduce toxic exposures from, I think clothing is a big part of it, right? How many hours during the day do we have that on our skin? And I really think reducing pesticide exposures or other plastics or things things like that, that are coming in through clothes is so important. Having natural fiber clothing is really, I think, equally important, right? For, for the mother while pregnant, as well as while breastfeeding, as well as for the, for the children. It also comes back to if we're going to prioritize things for our babies, we also need to prioritize them for ourselves because we have a direct impact on the outcomes for our babies. And that's really one of the things that, at least for me, that I really like to teach about and, and encourage. And when it comes to natural fiber clothing, there's a, a lot of different options. For me, in the living in the Pacific Northwest where it's cooler most of the year and quite wet, I definitely am always on the lookout for good high quality wool clothing that can help keep me and my boy warm while we're out at forest school or just doing our own adventures around here. And so I'm really thankful to have Nui Organics as one of those brands that we definitely support because it's one of those things that I feel good about putting those clothes on my son. (laughs) I feel good. I love that they're functional and I think it really comes back to, are they good quality products? You know, are they functional? And I think another really important aspect that I like to consider Um, when we talk about natural fiber clothing is the freedom to move. We talked about free movement being as one of the necessities of babies, but it's so important, I would say, especially in pregnancy for mamas, but even, you know, in babyhood as well, considering are our clothes limiting our movement, right? Are we restricted by how stretchy they might be or not, not stretchy or are they flowy or anything like that? So really considering like if if I were to want to crawl down on the ground like my baby is, can I do that in the clothes that I'm wearing? And to really encourage having free, loose-fitting clothes, especially for babies, to really 
encourage that, that motor development. It's not like by putting them in jeans, they're not going to be able to crawl as well or learn how to crawl. That's another factor that I really like to focus on encouraging as well. I feel like everything that you've said to this point, everything from clothing to food to epigenetics, that it starts and it never ends from before you want to have a baby, when you have a baby, and as you grow up to be an adult, because you're, and correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't your genes constantly able to express themselves and you can turn them on and off? It may be more difficult to change situations in your life. So if a mother has health issues or wants to make changes now because of their children, or they're just hearing this for the first time, they can just start making changes and it will affect not only their children, but their own health as well. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And, and one thing that also, you know, you said not only their children, but their own health as well. If for a woman, I just wanted to share this. Sometimes there's a diagram going around on Instagram of a depiction of this. And some people might've heard of it. When a woman is pregnant with a baby, a baby girl, the eggs that that baby girl is going to have in her body are directly influenced by the lifestyle of the mother, right? And that then means that that mother has a direct impact on the genetic blueprint or epigenetic influences of her grandchild, right? Because those eggs are, are there to influence or are going to be making the pairing with the sperm to, to then create a, a grandchild. And so we talk a lot about sustainability, clothing, lasting, and uh, not environment. You mentioned sustainability in regards to food. What does that mean? Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of changes that we can make in our daily lives that, that have a role on sustainability or that where sustainability can play a role. In regards to food, I'd really like to ask, how far did our food have to travel to get to our plates, right? Was this food once part of our ecosystem? Sometimes there's foods that maybe are called food, but if you really, was it living? Was it breathing? Was it moving? I think the further away it gets from being a food that was once living in our ecosystem, the less vital force it has, right? So the less vitality it can transfer to us. And then also to ask the question, what other parts of our ecosystem had to suffer because of the compensations needed in order to grow that food? So for example, if the food was grown, if we're, say we're talking about corn, in the Midwest, you'll see cornfields for miles and it's just corn all grown in one, one piece of land. In that type of situation, naturally, you know, so you never see something like that in nature. When there's a monoculture type of system, naturally they're going to require more uh, sites, right? So pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, insecticides, all of those things that literally sides are killing, right? Killing insects, killing. And the reason why those chemicals are needed is because this is an unnatural type of growing environment where in nature, in, you know, in a natural ecosystem, there are checks and balances. If certain species start to overgrow, another species will you know, grow to eat it, right? Or uh, to prevent its, its overgrowth. And so, so I really like to, to ask that question of like, what, what parts of our ecosystem suffer because of these compensations needed? And I think encourages us to also think about how we can create a more sustainable food system locally as well. 
And we can also ask ourselves, how long can we go eating food prepared in this way without depleting or regenerating the soil, right? Like we know that the top soils are, are degrading um, because of this really intensive um, type of process of growing a lot of the same type of food with minimal biodiversity, both from the plant kingdom as well as from the you know the animal kingdom things like that and when we have all the most biodiversity that's when we're really able to regenerate the soil and make it last to be fertile for longer right the soil has become so depleted that it's the food that is grown on it is not as nutritious yeah and you're only going to be as healthy as your soil because if the soil isn't rich then it then the plant has no way of of getting those nutrients and then if we as as say as mothers right we try and eat those foods and we will be void of those nutrients right and then if we are you know breastfeeding or you know pregnant and giving the trying to give those nutrients to our children then they're going to be deficient in those right and it's a it's a cycle of life that um that really it starts with you know the health of your soil and then the health of the mother and then the health of the baby and and really if we can encourage overall health of the earth then then that's that's really what's going to make all of us healthy as well it's like the the importance of the regenerative farming and and organic so that even like when you get wool sheep that are grazing on the the soil um, they play an important role in making the soil nutritious by going to the bathroom yeah. recycles on and on and on it's like that is the circular model you have a podcast with your husband who is a naturopath I just think that that is an, like you're the power duo and you seem so calm balanced and I wonder as a person who has a a full-time job and you're doing a podcast, you're a mother, you're a wife. How do you achieve balance in your life? Like what kind of advice can you give other women who may or may not have a career, but they are a full-time everything in their household? Well, I will just make one correction. I don't work out of the home full-time. So I have two days a week that I that I see patients. And so I am home with my son the other five days of the week. So I don't want I don't want people to think that I am doing it all as hard as it is being a a stay at home mom as well. But I really would say like, I think having a village, you know, is really just so important. My family plays a critical role in in childcare. So my parents watch my son when when I'm working, and that makes it so that I can afford to work, right? I, I don't think I would afford to send my son to daycare and, and also work. And so I really, as much as working is financial support for our family, it is also a, a fulfilling thing for myself, right? And so I would say relying on my family for childcare, my husband is so supportive. He does his best to share to share the load. I personally love to cook. And so I find that at the end of the day, when he goes and plays with our son and I can just cook, I know that's kind of the stereotypical like mom, (laughs) mom life type of thing, but I really do love to cook. And I like having that time to myself to be able to, you know, just meditate in my cooking or to listen to a podcast while I'm cooking. And my husband does a really great job of reminding me to you know, work out or go use the sauna when I'm like busying myself with other tasks. Cause there's always, there's always like an endless list of things to do, whether it's business or personal or household or whatever. Say, you know, relying on my family and my husband 
Well, I want to respect your time and um, you have your hands full, literally. <laughs> and so before I ask my last two questions, I just want to acknowledge you, the work that you do to help women find health, healing, and whole body balance. I think that even just what we've discussed today is going to help so many people because we live in a culture and a society that people are just hungry for information and wanting to care for their own health, but really not knowing where to turn. And so I want to acknowledge you for all the work you do for helping women, having your business, having your podcast, and just spreading all this positive, informative information to people so that they can make choices in their lives and raise healthy, mindful children in this new world that we're entering into. I know a lot of moms are going to want to connect with you. What's the best place that they can do that? currently on a social media break. Maybe by the time this is out, I'll be back on. So on Instagram, you can find me at Anissa Woodall Nutrition. You can also get more regular communications with me through my newsletter, which I send out a Wellness Wednesday newsletter at anisawoodall.com. We'll have all the links in the show notes. And so my last two questions, what is the greatest wisdom or advice you have for a child? All behavior is communication is one that I, maybe that's more for myself, <laughs> but also I want my, my children to learn that, to understand that whether it's in their own, you know, bodies or if it's in somebody else that, you know, all behavior is communication one way or another. So that can help us in building our relationships and you know, how we go about our life. About words that you live by. I really like the, the idea of know better, do better. And I think when we are on this, this journey in life, especially as make, you know, when we're making conscious, intentional decisions, it can be really easy to feel blame or to, you know, or to you know, blame ourselves or almost even just want to give up because it's like, oh, what can I control? You know, all of those things. And so I really like to encourage myself and, you know, parents that whatever you didn't know yesterday, like, that's fine. That what you learned today can help to inform your future. And like, you just, you learn more and you, you do better and to not really get hung up on what you could have done. Love that. Thank you so much, Anissa. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to Next to Natural. We'll be back soon with another incredible mom to share her journey and approach to minimalistic and environmentally conscious living. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast app, iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And please be sure to share it with a friend and rate and review the podcast. This helps other incredible parents find us and help grow the movement to a healthier and happier world. Find today's show notes on our website at www.newyorganics.com backslash podcast.